Hey, everybody, and welcome to the NFL Roadshow on the craziest non-first day of free agency day in an offseason in the NFL that I can recall in an awfully long time. Maybe even including the first day of free agency. I mean, when do we get moves that are this big? My head is spinning. It all happened in one day. There is so much to talk about. We're going to try to unpack as much of it as possible on today's show. We're not going to get to all of it. It's crazy. Um, We do have some great guests lined up to talk about the biggest moves that were made, namely Rodgers staying in Green Bay after an entire year of discussion about whether or not he would do that or whether or not he would go to Denver. The answer we got was, no, he's not going to Denver. He's staying in Green Bay. He's getting a pretty sizable extension. Uh, According to Ian Rappaport, it's a four-year deal worth $200 million, $153 million guaranteed. That makes him the highest paid player of all time. In the NFL, though he took to Twitter, Aaron Rodgers, to combat that report in some way. He was sort of um, not specific about what about the numbers that were out there was wrong, but he said that, that the numbers we were hearing were not right. But he did confirm that he was returning to the Packers. So that's the first big story that happened on Tuesday. That's enough for like an entire week, right? From a news cycle standpoint, Aaron Rodgers is staying in Green Bay. He's getting paid. What does it mean? We didn't even have like mm, 20 minutes to to go through that in our brain before the next big bombshell dropped, which is Russell Wilson getting traded to the Broncos. Spent his entire career in Seattle so far saying go Hawks to everything. And now he, like Peyton Manning, is going to finish his career. He's got, I don't know if he's going to finish his career. His next step is going to be in Denver. And the Seahawks and Broncos cannot confirm that that trade has taken place. Or I guess technically it isn't going to even take place until next week when the new league year kicks off. But it's agreed in principle. And they have traded some clever castaway movie Wilson volleyball references. Um, on Twitter in the meantime. Of course, there are plenty of other people that are tweeting all of the details about that de- deal, including um, specifically what Seattle got in return for Russell Wilson. They sent Russell Wilson and a fourth round pick to Denver. And in return, they get two ones, two first round picks, two second round picks, a fifth round pick, Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, defensive end, and Noah Fant, tight end. So, uh, who won that deal? You know, like that is obviously up for debate, and we'll find out how Russell Wilson plays, and we'll find out how the Seahawks draft using all of that cap, whatever. But for now, it feels like people are a little bit split. I'm seeing a lot more people that think that the deal favors the Broncos. There are some people, though, that think that the Seahawks got a lot in return, I kind of feel like the very fact that we can collectively look at the same thing and come away with different takes suggests that the deal might have been a good one for both teams. Um, but I do think it's interesting and worth noting um, the Seahawks just said last week that they didn't intend to trade Russell Wilson. They had no intention of trading Russell Wilson. A lot of people, I think, took that at face value. Um, and I think it's a good reminder again, semantics matter. You know, when Miami says that the door is closed on a Deshaun Watson trade, that is emphatic. That is something you can't come back from if you decide that you want to lie to people. In this case, 
no intention can always be walked back because it just means like, yeah, there was no intention at that very moment in time. And then we got a better trade offer and that changed everything. So um, they obviously did get a better trade offer and or were working on securing that and or saying those types of things in order to get a better trade offer because, you know, if people don't think that you're looking to move somebody, then that usually helps up the price, especially if you specifically don't want to send him to a team in your conference and are dealing with a limited pool of potential suitors. Though in this case, there are reports that Washington was in fact in the mix and that Russell Wilson is the one that nicks the deal, not the Seahawks. Anyway, that's neither here nor there because he is headed to Denver and the AFC West is now insanely stacked at quarterback. You guys, Herbert and Mahomes and Wilson and Carr, are you kidding me? All in the same division? Meanwhile, Herbert gets to hang on to one of his receivers. That also happened on Tuesday. There was so much stuff that happened on Tuesday. It was the tag deadline. So I'm going to go through a few names that you need to know, starting with, of course, this wide receiver for the Chargers, Mike Williams, who got a three-year $60 million extension to stay in LA. So now that means that the Chargers have two of the top five highest paid receivers. Mike Williams is going to get $20 million per year, and Keenan Allen is already making $20 million per year. That is a lot of financial resources wrapped up in the wide receiver position. Of course, if your quarterback is Justin Herbert, you can understand why you'd want to do that. Uh, Devontae Adams will also be making that much money this year. He was tagged today by Green Bay at $20 million plus. That makes him the third highest paid wideout behind uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Julio Jones, who are pulling in 27 and 22, respectively. Another wide receiver tagged on Tuesday, which, again, was the deadline to tag players. So I have eight names for you of guys who ultimately got the franchise tag. Bucks wideout Chris Godwin among them. His tag number was $19.1 million, so he's going to stay in Tampa for one more year at least at that price. And all of this means that Allen Robinson is now going to be the best wideout on the market when free agency kicks off next week because the Bears did not tag him. So he is headed somewhere else. So that means that two wideouts got the tag. Three, if you count Mike Gesicki as a wideout, which I guess you cannot technically because the Dolphins specifically tagged him as a tight end at the much lower rate of $10.9 million, even though he lined up out wide or in the slot on 85% of his snaps last year. That's something for his agent to take up, I guess. Other tight ends that were tagged, David Njoku for Cleveland, Dalton Schultz for Dallas. Dallas made a bunch of salary-related moves to free up space. Also notable, the Bengals tagging safety Jesse Bates, Chiefs tagging left tackle Orlando Brown, and I think this one's kind of big for a bunch of different reasons. The Jaguars tagging their left tackle Cam Robinson for the second straight year. That move is somewhat controversial because he really hasn't graded out all that well. Is he worth all of that money? According to Next Gen Stats, he ranked 48th out of 68 tackles in pass block win rate last season. 48th out of 68. Also notable about that move, it has pretty big draft implications. You know, the Jags have the number one overall pick. A lot of people have mocked in the last few weeks, Iki Iguanu. I'm going to practice saying that name. I don't even, I'm not even 100% sure I'm still saying it right. Iki Iguanu. Okay, I think that was better. Uh, anyway, a lot of people have mocked him 
to the Jaguars at number one. This probably means that they're going to go in a different direction. Daniel Jeremiah tweeting on Tuesday that it likely means that Aiden Hutchinson is going to be the first player off the board. Um, we're now minutes into this podcast, by the way. Gosh, eight minutes. How did that happen? And haven't even mentioned the fact that a player was suspended for at least a year one day ago because he gambled on the NFL. That never happens. It's happened five times in the history of the league that we know of. And it's like back page news today. Calvin Ridley, probably the biggest fan of the fact that all of these uh, breaking news stories happened today. Uh, another thing that came out on Tuesday, Kyler Murray added back all of his Cardinals pictures on social media. Cue the extension announcement, question mark. Uh, hell, Deion Sanders lost two toes. Amputated. Two toes. That came out on Tuesday. And thank goodness he's okay, but chances are good you didn't even hear about it because so many things happened. We're going to try to make sense of the biggest things in today's podcast uh, as best we can, considering the many moving parts. We have Aaron Negler from Cheesehead TV joining us to talk Packers and Rodgers and what his return, along with Devontae's, means for them, short-term and long-term. We're going to hear from Stacey Rost from Seattle Sports Radio, 710 AM, just moments after she gets off the air that she was on when the news of Russell Wilson's trade broke. But we're going to start in the city that did not have a franchise quarterback Tuesday morning and does now the same quarterback that beat said city in Super Bowl 48 here to walk us through the day's news from a Broncos perspective is Ryan O'Halloran, beat writer for the Denver Post. Let's break the huddle. Hurry up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Ready. Well, Ryan, let's talk about an emotion-filled day for Broncos fans. Um, and I guess we should start at the beginning, right? You hear Rodgers is not coming to Denver. Um, he's staying in Green Bay. What was the reaction then? Well, you don't want to ever say you're not surprised, but it seemed like all the all the tea leaves were pointing that way. I mean, this ended and, and that ended like a year-long saga, basically, from the first night of the draft last April to today, where it was probably Broncos or Packers. And the fun of it for us at, at the Denver Post was let's just feed the beast on this. Let's not pretend like it may not happen, but okay, it officially happens. First thing I do is I type up a quick thing. Okay, what's next for the Broncos? Is it re-signing Teddy Bridgewater? Is it giving Drew Locke another shot? Is it using the ninth pick on Kenny Pickett? And then, boom, there's the Russell Wilson trade. Then you get the players involved, the picks involved, and then just like you have your tires are screeching trying to figure out, uh, you know, put, try to put it in context. So this was not the first place you went. Was uh, will they go to Russell now? As the I had it B? as my, I had it like in my list. I had it as the top option. Say, hey, you're you probably took a swing on Rogers. That player, he never really became available. Okay, you know, let's move on to Wilson. They had obviously moved on to Wilson during the combine and got those talks because. I think the talks had to go far enough where they informed Wilson, would you accept the trade? Because he had a total no trade. So, mm -hmm. you know, once he said, I will go to Denver, then they had to, you know, put the rest of the wheels, you know, the pieces in place, so to speak. So I had Wilson at the top of the list, but also I was like, okay, that you know, give me a break. That's not going to happen. Schefter said that this move had nothing to do with the Aaron Rodgers move, that the wheels had been put in place a couple of weeks ago. Are you buying that? Or it feels like it had to have been plan B after what we were kind of thinking was going to happen for the last year, right? Yeah, I think it's parallel tracks. Um, 
what would be interesting to hear from the Broncos, and, and I'll put this out there for the listeners and viewers, is this trade cannot be announced till March 16th. So you're not going to hear point. from you're going to hear from anybody on either side. So it's left. We're going to have to fill that. They'll fill that void for the next week. But I do think is they were always ready for Aaron Rodgers to become available. And Russell Wilson put out some feelers last year. Hey, I would uh, approve a trade to these four teams. The Broncos weren't listed. Well, if I'm George Payton, the GM, doesn't matter if my team was listed. I was going to revisit that after the season. And uh, the combination of players and picks um, obviously was attractive to Seattle and and also being an AFC team. They were clearly the team that was most set up to go get Russell after the Aaron Rodgers thing fell apart. Let me back up for a second. Based on your understanding, because we talked to a lot of people over the last year that were like, it, it looked like the moves that Denver was making They were setting everything up to just plop a quarterback in. And the read was that that was Aaron Rodgers. Was it your impression that they were making all of these moves with the intention of going and getting him in a best case scenario? Probably Rodgers, number one, because, you know, he had, you know, that that relationship was so acrimonious in Green Bay, although they seemed to repair it throughout the season. But to me, you look back at the, the first of November, they traded Von Miller for a second round pick and a third round pick. To me, that was a sign they're ready to go big game hunting at quarterback. And I think it was going to be Rodgers. I think Wilson was going to be, they were going to take a, you know, take a swing that with Seattle, see if Wilson was available. But also then right after the bye week, they they signed Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, two receivers to long-term extensions. Well, to me, that was okay. Maybe that makes one of your skill position players available in a trade, which it turned out to be no offense. So everything. You know, it was sort of a big chessboard. Everything was like, okay, you're thinking one or two spots. How does this trade impact your pursuit of a quarterback? How do these extensions impact the pursuit of a quarterback? And it felt like it came together for the Broncos over the last week, culminating in today. What's the reaction been like there in Denver about getting Russell Wilson? Uh, I mean, it looks like it looks like a relief. You know, and it's 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 one day short of ten years ago that Peyton Manning arrived here for his visit with the Broncos as a free agent. So, you know, that, that's, that's a fun date to play with. And, you know, let's face it, this organization has been irrelevant since Peyton retired uh, six years ago this week, another anniversary. So I think, it, you know, the fan response I'm getting is the GM went for it. They got a premier quarterback and in this division, you need somebody like that. You know, you can play the best defense in the world, have the best running game in the world. It's not going to matter when you're facing Derek Carr, Patrick Mahomes, and Justin Herbert a combined six times. So it is an arms race, and they got they got in the mix today. That division is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like those quarterbacks, that's gonna be such a tough. I mean, I mean, you gotta try to win the division. Right. It, it, but it just, it feels also like you might have given up all of this to spin your wheels, considering what the division looks like anyway. It's just, it's hard to know what the right move is to, to, to make. I mean, I guess you, you got to do everything that you can to remain competitive. It's just, it, it's, it, they could end up as the, you know, the third or fourth best team in the division, regardless. Yeah. And I, I put them up at second because I'll keep Kansas City on top until, until they're knocked off that perch. But, Las Vegas, new coach, Chargers, got some things to fix on defense, and Herbert is just awesome. But now you're looking at six division games. You gotta win your, you gotta win them at home. Get those, you have you cannot afford to slip up in a division home game because you know, let's face it, is even if if you don't win the division, you get in the get in the playoffs, you gotta win three road games. 
Mm-hmm. But Russell Wilson gives you a chance to win on the road in playoffs. You just you, getting there is the, the hard part. Then you, the hardest part is winning those division, winning those playoff road games. They gave up a lot to get Russell Wilson. So they get Russell and a fourth and they give up two firsts, two seconds, a fifth, Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, Noah Fant. That's that's a pretty big haul. I feel like my read of everybody's reaction, the fact that it's so mixed sort of means probably that it's a good deal for both sides. How do you see what they gave up for him? Do you think it's too much? Do you think it's just right? I think it's uh, to to get this kind of player, you're going to have to give up a lot. And they did. Let's go. Let's talk about the players first. Drew Locke was not in their plan since they acquired Teddy Bridgewater. Shelby Harris re-signed a big contract last year. They felt he was expendable. Noah Fant entering his fourth year. So the Seahawks will get at least two years of club control on that at a pretty good rate. They feel with Albert Oakley-Bootham at tight end being the start, I mean, starter, maybe they can go sign a veteran. So to me, where the big thing is, they didn't have to give up three ones. Um, you give up two ones. What's going to be interesting, as we speak at 207 Mountain Time, the years of the picks have not been revealed yet. But entering today, the Broncos had a one, two twos, and two threes in this year's draft. So let's say it's their first and second this year. That still gives them a second and two thirds to add three starter caliber players. So, and then if you feel like Russell Wilson is at 34, four or five more good years, then that's totally worth it. Because uh, they were going to have to give up two first round picks for Aaron Rodgers, who's at 39, 38. So the price is steep, but that's going to be the case. And let's say they do have a second and two thirds. What are their priorities in terms of what they need to do with those picks? Where are the holes? Yeah, I'll lump the draft with free agency next week. Um, Wilson's going to take up a big chunk, big chunk of that cap space. They're at they're, um, 38 million entering today. And his cap number right now is 24. So they need, they need a pass rusher. You saw Von Miller doing his Von Miller stuff on social media. To me, you're trying to create a new culture with a new coach and a new quarterback. Do you really bring back old guys to me? No, unless the price is right for the Broncos, but edge rushers, number one priority, right tackle is a priority. No quarterback has been sacked more than Russell Wilson in the last nine years. Got to find a tight end to take fan. He led the team in catches. Uh, so you don't think Okuebunan is that um, they see him as the guy that's ready to step in. I think Albert is ready to step in as the in the receiving part, mm-hmm. but maybe you sign a veteran guy or a guy who's more of an inline blocker for in two tight end sets. He can help out a double team. But I think Albert had some drops last year, but he is very athletic, and I think he was he was getting ready to get about even with Fan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so pass rush and tight end. Pass rush tight end, and then I mentioned right tackle. They've had 20 right tackles in the last 10 years. That's pathetic. So is it is it the high in the second round? Is it to me that's what I would do is find a right tackle because when you get Russell Wilson, your pass protection is automatically better because his if his IQ, his experience, his mobility. So I would draft a right tackle in the second or third round and say, young man, you're the starter, and uh, until you prove otherwise, and go that route with your line. What do you see? And obviously we're all familiar with Russell Wilson. You probably will be going and doing more of a deep dive as to like strengths and weaknesses and things like that. But based on your understanding at this point, how do you see his skill set fitting with the players that are there? What does it mean for the players around him? Yeah. I think the big thing, 
this guy can throw the deep ball. Okay, that's great for Jerry Judy. That's great for KJ Hamler coming off the ACL. That's really good for Cortland Sutton. This team could not stretch the field vertically. Everything the last couple of years on offense was a slog. And was so, that because of Teddy? Yeah, I think it was the overall quarterback play. They, you know, Wilson's going to be their sixth different week one starter in six years. So you throw that deep ball. Okay, that means that you can set up your play action for Javante Williams to run the ball. Okay, he gets a lighter box. So, okay, you can get a lead. That plays in your defense. Pat Sertan, I think, was the only untouchable player on this roster in Rodgers-Wilson trade talks, and they were able to keep him at corner. So, And he was your first-round pick last year. So if they're able to just score some more points, that should play into their defense. But they have to be better on some aspects defensively as well with their pass rush and their takeaways. But um, if you're Nathaniel Hackett, you're come from a West Coast you know, background. You, know, you, you, you present to Russell, hey, this is what I like to do. Put your spin on it. Well, it's going to be a collaboration because there's instant respect there. So looking forward to seeing how how they mesh offensively. But when you look at Russell Wilson in his Seattle days, it's, okay, did he try to play hero ball just a little bit too much? And maybe as, as his years go on, he'll throw it away, pick the battle for the next down. But uh, his ability to extend the play and still throw deep is something the Broncos haven't had, even pre, pre-Payton. So they've got a his contract right now has two years, fifty one million dollars left on it. I think I saw no guaranteed money is included in that. Do you think that they try to extend him now or wait a year like the Rams did with Stafford? What do you think their play will be? Um, my guess, and I'm trying to look up my numbers here. Um, his cap number for this year is twenty four. His cap number for next year is, is twenty six. My guess, you know, my first instinct would be to ex- uh, extend him now. And not not necessarily before next week when the trade becomes official, they can lower that number. But you've given up these assets. You know, let's let's make this a long term commitment. And because he was all accounts last week in India at the combine, whereas that him in Seattle, we're going to talk about extending his deal this year in Seattle. Um, I don't don't think anything was done beforehand with the Broncos. But uh, my guess would be they is they do add two or three years big money when that cap goes up his number will go up does that feel like the right move for you right now do you feel comfortable do you think broncos fans will feel comfortable the thing about russell is obviously on on paper and and reputation we look at this and we say russell's one of the best quarterbacks in the league and so this is a good get for the broncos on the flip side of that you look at his play last year And there was some indication that there were some things that weren't really going well and that maybe there were some areas in which he wasn't good enough. And so I think we're at a point in his career where he's facing the most questions about what he can actually do moving forward. So I I have some questions about that. Maybe do you think that they might want to see how he looks next year in Denver before they extend him? Or do you think this is good? We're Let's wrap it all up. Lindsay Rhodes is becoming Lindsay Downer. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I know. And no, I, it's, it's, it is a legitimate point is, okay, the Broncos coaches obviously did their film homework before this trade became incomplete and say, okay, was it the protection breaking down? Was it, was it injuries? How much was he impacted by the finger when he came back? So, um, and here's the other thing is, if you want to look at it from like a, a, an optimistic view is, okay, will he be liberated in a new situation? 
Uh, 10 years is a long time to quarterback one team. You know, Tom Brady, he's the exception. But you look at Matthew Stafford this past year, he obviously was, you know, reborn figuratively with, with a new situation and new weapons and a new head coach. So um, if, if it pertains to the new contract, I think it makes business sense to extend him because I don't think you want to put him on the put him on the field, start training camp, prove it to us. Well, we've given up three players and five draft picks. We yeah. sort of believe you're worth it. That ship has sailed. <laughs> yeah, and I think one of the things that, and this was before I got to Denver, is one of the things with Peyton Manning, he was able to get guys here to sign. Yes. So, you know, if you're Russell Wilson, extend your contract. You can tell guys, hey, I am committed here. Uh, maybe you can take a little bit less to join the team. Yeah. It was funny watching the Denver player reaction. Well, specifically Jerry Judy, I Jerry guess, G with like the sad face emoji or whatever after Aaron Rodgers news broke. And then you know, like we're lit. Like, I mean, it was just the full gamut of emotions coming out of him. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it was good to know that Jerry Judy was as plugged in as we were, which means he wasn't. <laughs> so my uh, guess is he's probably at home in Miami training. But but if you are him, if you are Sutton, if you're Albert O at tight end, you see, I mean, this is a player you watched when you were in high school, maybe with yeah. Jerry Judy, I mean, you're in junior high. Oh, that makes me feel very old. I don't like that. No, Ryan, take it back. Same here. But, but I guess the, the key word is um, respect is they, they know this guy is going to help them win games. So uh, they, they should be excited because a it's clarity. B. Um, it's this guy who has a proven track record. It's it's a win for Denver area children's hospitals too. Russell Wilson, obviously very well known for what he does in the community that he plays in. Uh, I don't know if it's a win for you guys in this sense. You're going to hear a lot of go Broncos to finish out every interview. Well, some people in this market may repeat his word. So, I mean, that's, a, it's, well, I digress, but uh, I mean, I'll get a chuckle out of that. Just like he says, what does he say on Sunday Night Football, a whole pack of Badgers? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I, to me, that's kind of, that's, that's amusing, but he, uh, I think what the key is, he's going to be the face of this franchise right away because right now there's no owner. Yeah. And this team will be sold maybe in the fall, late summer. And, uh, you know, I don't think they're connected, but if you're an owner now, you know that the quarterback is in the place, which is the most important position. Ryan, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lindsay. All right. Now for the other side of this trade an equally interesting side, I would say I am excited to welcome in Stacy Rost from Seattle sports, 7, 10 AM just got off air was on air. If I'm correct, when the news broke, have you thoroughly yes. processed what's happened today? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. So the news broke and it's that thing of like you it's, Adam Schefter was the first outlet I saw. I think he broke it. And so that's that thing of you're staring at it. You see the blue check mark. You see Adam Schefter and you just stare and you stare and you stare and you're like, this can't be real. Right. Is this real? And so it broke during a break. We came back with it um, at, I think at around 1030 at our time. And we rolled with it for three and a half hours. And it, I mean, our text line, our caller lines were just from people what? With reacting. Okay. Yeah, I know, would imagine. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is a lot of the um, discourse that had surrounded Russell Wilson and this team, I would say had been 50, 50, 
you know, positive. I love Russell Wilson. I'm a fan. And the other 50%, kind of that reaction to his now infamous comments with Dan Patrick of like, if he doesn't want to be here, he can leave. Or a very like Seattle kind of <laughs> reaction to it. Uh, what was interesting is that's been the discourse. The reaction, I would say, was 90-10. of people being like, you know what? Good riddance. Time to move on. Let's see what happens. 90% of people saying, I didn't love him, but I didn't think it would happen. And it's just shock, pure shock for most fans. So did you, did this catch you off guard? Because obviously this was the discourse for so yeah. long, right? Yeah. Like there was an expectation. We were talking about it. Like it's an Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson off season, but then there is a sense of like, mm-hmm. they were talking about it, but the likelihood is, you know, Aaron ended up in green Bay and, right. and everything usually stays the same. It takes a lot to send a quarterback of Russell Wilson's caliber packing. So I think that there's a certain degree of like, I felt shock, even though I kind of actually thought that this might happen. There was still that sense of like, I can't believe it actually did. How I feel about it. And I think maybe in particular with this team where they are like any team connected to a lot of rumors and more infrequently than not with any team you cover, those rumors don't actually happen. You'll hear rumblings from people within or outside of the organization. um, And most of the time it kind of stays status quo because pulling off those moves are hard or people just decide uh, it's not a perfect marriage, but it's worth moving forward. Um, So I had heard rumblings certainly last off season, um, but kind of during this year had heard rumblings from multiple sources. This is Russell Wilson's last season. Like Russell Wilson is not coming back. And I don't just mean like, sports talk radio conversations we're having. I mean, like people who are connected saying like, I think he's going to be traded. I think he's done. And that had started to fade of late. So I would say the last two months in particular, but certainly at the end of the season, there was this feeling of, you know what? They might run it back. That's what we were talking about at the end of uh, the, the final week, the regular season. And for Seattle, the season finale against Arizona, it was, I think they found it. I think they've tapped into some something here and they can run it back. And that was from people uh, in and out of the organization. And, and so while I would not have been surprised five months ago or heading into last season, I was surprised today because I thought that that conversation had moved, had run its course. Was this in your, as far as your understanding goes, was this an either or Wilson or Carol um, situation? Yeah. I feel like it's been framed that way. Did they, did they in essence choose Carol over Wilson in your opinion? It's interesting. I almost see it as like a Schneider thing. Uh, now Carol has final say with personnel and oversees a lot of that and is obviously the face when you think of the organization, it's Wilson and then Carol on the other side. But I've always looked at it as Carol uh, has always been a huge fan of Wilson. They've always seen eye to eye and ultimate goals. The issues with them, my understanding came about with how do we want to achieve it? Right. Um, what's the best way to get there, but they're both obsessed with winning. They both want the same thing. And hypothetically, my understanding has always been both wanted to be here. I think, um, I know less about John Schneider's motives and uh, simultaneously about his final say in things. I mean, Carol still has to sign off on this. Wilson has to sign off on this. I would guess that for someone like John Schneider, and then, you know, combined with Carol, they were looking at, if we aren't sure entirely whether the way Wilson wants to win is how we want to do things, 
And we aren't sure entirely whether he's truly regressed, like whether the version we saw in 2021 or at the end of 2020 is kind of who he is moving forward. Do we want to commit 40 to $50 million? And if we don't, we have to trade him now. So I'm guessing that it was more of that kind of conversation versus uh, choose Carol or Wilson. If in 10 years we find out that like, uh, you know, Carol issued an ultimatum or that it was a choose Wilson or Carol, I would be shocked. I don't I don't think that that's how this was framed. Do do you think that they think that they're rebuilding? I mean, they've been really hesitant to use that kind of language. You you hear Pete Carroll all the time, right? What does he always say? Always compete constantly. I mean, he would talk about that with COVID where they'd be like, so what are your COVID precautions? He'd be like, we're always competing. And you'd be like, what does that mean? I don't know. We may, we wear masks harder, um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but he is an incredibly competitive person. And uh, I think would tell you that this is an effort to compete and compete, compete immediately. Practically, I have a hard time seeing how they do that. Practically, I have a hard time seeing how this isn't a minimum two season kind of build, right? Cause you think, you know, let's say that you want to take the approach you had in 2011, 2010, when you got here and they made a ton of moves, they made more roster moves than like any other team when they started in 2010. Let's say you want to take that route. Well, you were two years in before you got Wilson. And let's be honest, like you kind of struck gold in the third round. So you never know when it's going to happen, but I, I have a hard time seeing this as being, um, I have a hard time seeing them admitting to this being a full rebuild while also this not clearly being some kind of rebuild. Do you have a feeling, a gut feeling about what is happening here? Because there is, mm -hmm. there's obviously a plan on their part, right? Yeah. Like we don't know, maybe there's another shoe to drop. Maybe they they just collected a bunch of capital and they're going to go get somebody else, whoever that somebody else might be. Um, we could talk about quarterback names and who might fit in that situation. Cause I don't think they're going into the season with drew lock as their starter. There's obviously a move. I assume that they intend to make at the quarterback position, but also, you know, they needed maybe some capital to go boost the defense, which is not what it's been, you know, in the last few years, it's not been what we expect from a Pete Carroll, Seattle Seahawks coach defense. And you made some comments at the combine that indicated that he was ready to kind of shake things up on that side of the ball. Um, I, I, there's part of me that thinks that maybe they thought that they just couldn't make as many moves yes, as they yeah. wanted to, if they stood pat with Russell Wilson and paid him. I think you're right on. I think that's how I see it as less about, um, Hey, this is a secret master plan and more of, we, we looked over the options that we have to be competitive and win in the way that the league is constructed, which is built for parity. And we decided that Either you don't have enough faith that Russell Wilson can single-handedly win you games uh, or that, that he wanted to be here. Whatever it was, you decided that this was your way to be competitive again, to, to build up that personnel. Peak, or, uh, excuse me, John Schneider said he wasn't going to restructure. So they're not going to restructure Wilson. They're not going to restructure Wagner. Well, then you're pretty limited in what you can do in terms of acquiring talent. And you are maybe the third best roster in your division. If that, I mean, it, it, it maybe not. You might be the worst roster in your division. And I know they have an all pro with Bobby Wagner and obviously had Russell Wilson, but this is a stacked, stacked NFC West. Um, I wouldn't rule out a kind of second shoe to drop. Like uh, I've, I've heard someone say, um, you know, that he thinks that they really like Deshaun Watson. I think every team is, is being very careful about that. Um, 
but because I heard that once, I've never completely ruled it out, but I, I don't think any team knows what's happening there right now. I think what happened, there was this uh, interview that John Schneider had uh, during the Seahawks broadcast. It was a pregame interview. And he was asked, hey, are you flattered when you think about how the rest of the NFC West has kind of built their teams to combat yours? Because they're all defensive heavy teams and they're kind of like, they've, they've had to be built to combat the fact that you have uh, Russell Wilson and, and all these weapons. And that was the question kind of unprompted. He brought up, yeah, they've had some draft picks we haven't had. So I think a little bit of what's happening is John Schneider and Pete Carroll recognizing it is really hard to have a Super Bowl team when you're paying your quarterback this much money and you don't hit on every draft pick. And maybe the only way to be competitive again is to choose, do you want the quarterback or do you want more bites at the apple? And John Schneider has always been one of his biggest draft philosophies has been a more bites at the apple kind of guy. And so I think that I would guess that the success the rest of the NFC West has had with Nick Bosa, uh, with their early round picks, made this a very tempting route to take. There was that picture of them talking to Matt Corral at the the draft that Lance Zerline took and uh, got pushed around a lot more today, you know, in Mm -hmm. hindsight, sitting there with both of the Kiffins. Um, do, Do you see them trying to go after a draft quarterback? because that gives them more bites at the apple because that's then a a resource. It it all depends on how they value, obviously those quarterbacks, but like, if you go a Deshaun Watson route, let's put aside the ethical moral conversation for a minute and just talk about capital, right? You're going to take all this capital you just acquired and you're going to send it right back to Houston. And so then do you still have that capital to to boost your defense, you know, to fill those holes. Like you said, this is not a great roster. You could then do some math and say, we actually think that Deshaun Watson is the quarterback though, that can win without all of the other things being good around him. Um, Maybe he's that guy and they don't think that Russell is. That becomes more of an indictment on Wilson as opposed to an indictment on on how hard team building is, which is like the latter is how I'm assuming, but the big decision-making was done was like, it's Mm -hmm. really hard to build a team. We might have to just do it this way and just decide to go cheap again, which would make me think you would go for, uh, stick with whoever this year. It won't be Drew Locke, but like you bring in Tyler Huntley, you bring in someone to kind of just be, have a body there. And then like, rack up, you know, with that ninth overall pick from Denver, you take your franchise tackle, you take your edge rusher, you take an outside corner, like those big pieces that you would never be able to get in free agency because an outside corner is going to run you 20 million or uh, a top tier defensive end is never going to hit free agency until they're 32, 33. Um, So I would think if it goes that route, then it's kind of what I've been hearing, which is they just want to rebuild and get those foundational pieces it's not necessarily about Wilson. It was just, this is how we have to win. And, and, and our, we got one high, hand behind our back when we got you here. If you go for, for Watson, you're right. It's more an indictment on, then that conversation isn't, uh, then the conversation becomes, did they think they could never win with Wilson? Did they think right. Wilson had truly regressed? So, um, so yeah, I see the approach of- Or just, uh, is he like, he's a top 10 quarterback, but he's right. not a top, you know- 
three or four or the stylistically. Yes, exactly. Somebody who can't mask flaws necessarily around him to the degree. While I have heard that they like him, it's like, I mean, I'm sure a lot of teams do. That's not like a unique take Um, or see, recognize that he's talented rather. Uh, I think I would be far less surprised if they end up taking like uh, a bridge in the draft. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. How do you think it would go over in Seattle, the Watson conversation? Because it sounds like mm. in a in a in a related story, uh, there there was news today about him getting a day in court on Friday and that the whole thing could begin wrapping up and that his side obviously wants to get it wrapped up before free agency for obvious reasons. If that was suddenly miraculously uh, taken care of from a legal standpoint, that's no longer an issue do you think from a PR standpoint, the Seahawks could even bring him in there with the fan base in Seattle or would that not go over well? I don't think it would go over well. I think there are some people that would say, unfortunately, I don't know if you've had this conversation. We were talking about it today because of the Wilson news. I think there are always going to be some people that say either, I don't care, he's talented. Uh, or B, say, well, I mean, who knows if those women are telling the truth? And you're like, okay, here, here we go again. Uh, this is a problematic conversation. <laughs> but um, I think that uh, it would certainly be controversial. And you have to consider, like, you're going from the public image of Russell Wilson. Like totally. him or not, maybe you hate that he has a fragrance line or you think that, like, he's really cringeworthy or whatever. This guy is, like, PR 101, has never said a wrong word. The fact that he went on Dan Patrick, the Dan Patrick show, talked about how he didn't love being sacked so much. That was the conversation. Every article I'd written for five years covering this team. Well, it doesn't matter. They need to address the offensive line. It's like, it's, I saw five years of those comments and then he says something about it. And that's the most controversial thing he's ever said. So you have to think about like the kind of quarterback image you're going to from one to the other. I think it would certainly be a shock to the system for a lot of fans here who are, who are used to looking at someone who doesn't make headlines in that way, at least. Yep. I mean, if there's a face of the franchise, who's ever just like, he loves that. I, I, you can, you can tell that about him, that this is somebody who loves being in that position, wants to be a role model, all of those things. Sometimes it comes across super corny, I think, but you know, I think it's well-intentioned from a football standpoint. And, and I guess all of the things we know about the the children's hospital visits and about his public face and the Walter Payton man of the year stuff that he does. And I think in a general sense, people understand who he is as a football player. What do you think the Broncos are getting in Russell Wilson? Uh, So I've had this debate multiple times. So my co-host is Russell Wilson's personal quarterback coach who has a far more optimistic vision of Russell Wilson's current ceiling than I do. I think that his ceiling is clearly like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So keep in mind that it's not like I'm saying like, ah, I mean, is he as good as Derek Carr? Like, this is just, just know that this is relatively speaking, but, um, I have been a little more critical looking at the end of 2020 and, uh, looking at parts of 2021 saying like, something isn't right. Like there is certainly a regression on paper, is that regression permanent or is it the result of a lack of protection, a new offensive coordinator still getting his legs under him and uh, having literally no healthy running backs for any extended period of time, right? Like there are a, a defense that couldn't keep it together for the first half of last season and the first half of the season prior to that. There are so many other factors that make it a fascinating conversation because there is no way that you could definitively know Russell Wilson has regressed 
or Russell Wilson is still an MVP quarterback that just needs some protection. Like there is no way to know that right now because you've seen both versions of him in the same period of time. In, in two years, you've seen both versions. So it's like one of these is real and one of these is, is, uh, is maybe fleeting and maybe not. I tend to think that there is, there has been a little bit of regression for him uh, in part to do with age, in part to do with, um, I don't know, just lots of change, right? At offensive coordinator or what have you. Um, and that being said, my co-host, uh, Jay Keeps, still thinks that Russell Wilson is capable of being one of the very, very, very best quarterbacks in the league. And he's like, I think in his mind, he's like, this guy will win a Super Bowl with Denver. Like this guy is so insanely talented and people here aren't quick enough to recognize the context of a poor offensive line and, and all these other weapons. I'm um, um, not to put you in his mind, but obviously right. you heard him make this argument. Yes how does he explain the last couple of seasons? What does he think was holding Russell Wilson back from being that guy these last two years in Seattle? It's a good question. Cause we have talked about this endlessly. And, uh, I think what's, uh, it sounds like a cop-out, but I, the answer has varied by game. So in green Bay, you'd say, Hey man, that's on you. In terms of digging the hole deeper, you were holding the shovel. There is no way to excuse that you didn't have good support. You didn't have whatever. Like, that was a horrible game. Truly one of the worst games I've seen from Russell Wilson. And they were self-inflicted injuries and mistakes. And he did not disagree with me on that one. I think that he is pointed, uh, unsurprisingly, to the lack of protection. Just saying, you know, the best line Russell Wilson had here was like a top 10 offensive line in his rookie season. Uh, not coincidentally, they, in 2013, go on to win a Super Bowl. Um, and the standard here is such that like we were getting texts from people saying, well, they were top 15 last year. <laughs> and it's like top 15. Look at the teams that are in the Look at the teams that are in the playoffs. Like, They're not one of the worst teams They're, in the league. Yeah. That's, that's our the, bar. That's like the, the bar now is like, Hey, do you want to be 15 or 30? And it's like, can I be 10? <laughs> can I be nine? That'd be great. He has pointed uh, primarily to, uh, to the offensive line specifically play at center uh, and, uh, and, uh, right tackle is kind of inconsistent, but he just, he, he, since that trade of Max Unger to, uh, to new Orleans, he hasn't had great center play. He's only ever had like one or two great linemen, usually on the left side. So in addition, uh, Jake's pointed to, um, one of the interesting conversations is, is does Pete Carroll's offensive philosophy work with Russ? Right. I don't know that Jake has entirely pointed to that being an issue so much as Pete's reliance on that offensive philosophy when he doesn't have the weapons and how sometimes you can run into a wall and your quarterback becomes kind of the scapegoat in that moment. Yeah, that's probably fair. What do you think of the compensation? I don't think it was enough. I So when we first reported it, I obviously, as you know, you can't just say, oh, they probably got three first rounders. I was operating under the assumption they got three first rounders. I just, I just was, I was thinking there's, there's no way, but um, Jake said that, uh, that Russell Wilson, his understanding is Russell Wilson nixed a trade to Washington and to Philadelphia. Cause he has the no trade clause and Philadelphia and Philadelphia. So that's my understanding. At least I don't know if that was like a source that he had, if it was just his understanding of the situation. So I'm wondering if, because it takes two sides with a no trade clause. If Philadelphia or Washington may have offered more and Russell Wilson wasn't willing to go there. And also maybe the Seahawks didn't want to trade him to an NFC team. And in this way, you get a team that Russell Wilson is willing to go to with Denver who wouldn't. Uh, 
and maybe not as much compensation as you could have had, but you get them out of the NFC. I don't know if the other two teams, Washington and Philadelphia, offered three first rounders or offered more than the Broncos. But I did hear that there were trades involved with those two teams that Russell Wilson did not want to go to those teams. So the way I look at it is I talked to Brad Spielberger a couple of weeks ago from PFF, who's their cap analyst. And we were talking about, you know, different trades and what it would take. And he said for Deshaun Watson that it would be six assets in his mind, three first rounders, and then three um, either like day two picks or starting players. And so, and, and I thought that was a lot to give up. So then you look at Russell Wilson and I think you have to look at Russell as being a step down from Deshaun Watson, even though that feels disgusting to say, but just from a quarterback standpoint, we have not seen Deshaun Watson regress, right? We've seen Russell Wilson coming off of two, arguably the best, the worst years of his career that have put a big question mark over him. Like we've seen him do it, but we haven't seen him do it lately. Have we, have we seen the best days of Russell Wilson or those behind us, you know? And so I think that that's a fair question at this point that has to devalue his trade value. And so the fact that they got two firsts and then more draft capital and then not a starter in Drew Locke, a body, um, but somebody, a body that they're going to need probably, I don't know. And then they did get a starter in Noah Fant and then they get Shelby Harris. It feels a little bit to me like, you know, would you, would you, would Noah be worth a first, you know, if you could draft Noah, I don't know. So to me, it all kind of adds up to like, if they can use those specific bodies, if those are helpful to them or, or helpful to move to somebody else who might want them. I don't know who that would be. I don't know. I feel like it feels kind of fair, but I'm, I'm, I I understand where you're coming from that on the surface, people kind of get their expectations up that they're going to see this huge windfall. This feels like this. I don't know. It feels fair to me. I certainly don't think they were fleeced. There is certainly like a local feeling among fans, whether it was hearing it, whether it's hearing friends talk about it on text threads or going to Seahawks Reddit, wherever. There's certainly a feeling from some people that they got fleeced. I don't yes. think that's the case because you also have Mina to Kimes the thinks they got fleeced, right? For sure. For sure. She's smart, Love Mina. <laughs> She's very smart. Um, I think that, you know, again, there's also the context of like Denver knows you don't have a first round pick. Right. Like it's not a you don't have all of the leverage in this case. Denver needs a quarterback, but they also know what you don't have. So. Oh, well, it'll be interesting to see what they do with all of this. Stacey, I really appreciate your time on a very, very long day for you. Go take a breath. (laughs) Have a glass of wine. I will. I will. will. Thanks. (laughs) What is up, everyone? It's Jeff Ratcliffe, the host of the Rant Podcast. Join me weekdays for my unique brand of insight and analysis that will help you crush your fantasy football leagues and DFS contests. I'm also bringing you the sharpest betting angles, unique parlays, and the need-to-know info that helps put units in your pocket. The Rant, the fantasy football podcast that's on every winning lineup. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or listen on the SXM app free for most subscribers. What a day. Of course, the move that got all of it going that we thought was going to be the biggest news to come out of today and now feels kind of quaint um, in (laughs) retrospect because it was so neatly packaged is the Aaron Rodgers uh, return to Green Bay that, you know, obviously made Denver an opening for Russell Wilson and all of those things. And so I am thrilled to talk to Aaron Negler from Cheesehead TV about what this means for the Packers. Did you see this? Is this the outcome that you expected, Aaron? 
For the most part, yeah. I didn't really see the contract coming, at, at least the extent that's been reported. I know. Well, I don't with know. That, but what is the contract right? Aaron says no. I mean, I do think he's probably uh, trying to give a little more shine to his boy, Pat McAfee here. Um, you know, that that news was broken by Pat. And then five minutes later, Ian Rappaport was out there talking contract. I, I don't doubt for a second that a monster extension has been agreed to. What those actual terms might be, we don't obviously know yet. I think they will come out in the next day or two. Um, but no, as far as like what was expected, this was always the most likely, especially when you looked at everything the Packers have done almost literally since that you know game, the season ending in that playoff game against the 49ers. From that moment till now, the Packers have basically tried to pave the road for Rodgers to return. All signs pointed that way. So this was some mostly expected. Again, at the same time, I take Aaron at his word that he was contemplating retirement. Um, I don't think I would have been shocked. With two hundred million dollars on the table, you're going to walk away. Well, you know that's a hard thing to walk away from, no doubt about it. But I, you know, stranger things have happened. You know, we've we've seen guys kind of surprise us with retirement at any point in their NFL career, and it's not like Aaron Rodgers is your run of the mill dude. I mean, you talk about a guy who. You wouldn't be surprised if he did anything, you know, as far as just being a different kind of cat. But, you know, again, no, this is very much what I expected. Okay. So what about last dance? What about that? Right. <laughs> well, to was, that what, point was too, that, was that all him using whatever leverage and just try, like playing them like a fiddle? Like what do you possibly. think that this was all part of a master plan for him? Or do you think that this came together? No, well, giving him too much credit. No, I mean, I don't know about that long-term because when you ask about what was expected, this is what I expected since the Packers kind of started talking publicly after the playoff loss. But you go back to last summer, I fully expected in that kind of moment, right? That three month stretch uh, that that would 2021 was going to be Aaron Rodgers last dance in Green Bay. I fully expected it only because, and this is the thing that seems to have been forgotten now, how acrimonious things were after Schefter dropped that bomb on draft day, a couple hours before the start of the draft. And then Rodgers basically owned the entire summer, really made the Packers squirm. Um, made them look bad on Jeopardy with his, <laughs> with his little quips yeah. about going yes. for the field goal. But then here's the other thing. Don't ever forget that, you know, I, I remember it was reported, I think, by Bob McGinn and then Ty Dunn kind of repurposed it. Those texts from Rodgers to teammates calling Brian Gutekunst Jerry Krause, you know, comparing him to the Bulls general manager who broke up a dynasty. Um, there was real friction there. And that was never make-believe. That was never some kind of leverage play, what have you. It wasn't optics. I mean, there really was an issue between Rodgers and Gutekunst. But I can only take Aaron at his word and Brian somewhat, though we haven't heard from him as much, obviously, when Aaron has spoken often throughout this past season about how things have improved there. Their relationship has gotten a lot better. And you look at the job Brian did as far as building the team last year, uh, whether it's the incredible signing of Devondre Campbell late in the offseason or the picking up of Razul Douglas off a practice squad, you know, key contributors along the way, the depth along the offensive line. They lost so many guys up front and they didn't seem to miss a beat on offense for the most part. That's all Brian, you know, and I think in a way, Rogers really started to appreciate how Brian's doing business. I think he felt a little bit more heard, a little bit more involved in the conversations, so to speak. Not that he was being asked about every move they made, but I think he was probably privy to a lot more information than he had been in the past. 
And I think they're in a much, much healthier, much better spot now than they were last year. What about financially? Can he keep that? Like, so he liked the moves that Gutekunst made. Well, can Gutekunst continue to make moves and hold on to some of those people? I mean, you mentioned Russell Douglas. Is this a guy that, like, what will this cost them? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's very real, right? Uh, the, the fact that they are going down this route at all is significant in the history of the Green Bay Packers, especially recent history. This is very much anthema to how they usually operate in the sense of always being well under the cap, always taking care of the future. Well, they've made it very clear. They have continually kicked money out, tried to like kick that can, so to speak, to keep Rodgers. And you have to presume Devontae Adams in the fold. I think Campbell, they're going to find a way to bring him back. But I I would not be surprised if Razul isn't back. I think he probably did play his way out of Green Bay. And that's great for him. You love the player getting paid. There's no doubt about it. But one of the things that Brian's going to have to continue to do with this roster constructed as top heavy as it is cap wise, he's going to have to continue to find those diamonds in the rough. I mean, it's great that Campbell had the season he had, but he was a very late addition in free agency. Nobody wanted that guy. The Packers found a player who fit really well in their scheme. They made him and asked him to do stuff he hadn't been asked to do before, essentially, in his career, something he has alluded to a couple of times with us in the press. I just think Brian's going to have to keep leaning on his pro personnel people, keep leaning on his staff to find these types of players, because it's not like they're going to be able to go out and be hog wild and free agency. This isn't like five years ago when they were able to sign, what, the Smith brothers and, and Adrian Amos and Billy Turner. I mean, two of those guys, there's a good chance two of those guys are probably be cap casualties this summer, whether it's uh, Billy at right tackle. I think there's a chance he's going to get cut. And I definitely think Zadarius is gone. So, you know, this is going to be part of the juggling act for Brian going forward. So you mentioned this is a different approach than the Packers have historically taken. How do you think it's playing with Packers fans? Because I feel like Packers fans were kind of split on like whether or not like, you know, they'll like, don't let the door hit you on the way out type of crowd <laughs> or right. the like, Hey, we have like one of the best players right. ever. You don't, you do you move him before he wants him. to leave. Right. 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 You know, I do think there's a split, although I think the bigger side of it, I think it's probably 80, 20, uh, the 80 being the people who are just elated to have Aaron Rodgers back. Right. And if you're a fan, I get that. Like you just sit down in front of your TV on Sunday and enjoy the games. You like winning a lot of football games, right? You like having a chance to go to the Super Bowl every year. Like that's what Rodgers gives you. And I do think there's a very small, maybe somewhat vocal minority who saw an opportunity here. And I'm, I'm you know, point blank. I definitely one of these people who, you know, you keep banging your head against the wall. You keep getting to NFC championship games and playoff games and losing repeatedly. And you hear, well, we got to get some of these at home. We got to get some of these at home. That had been the mantra after they lost, what, five NFC championship games. Well, you got an NFC championship game at home and you lost. And then you had a, a home playoff, you know, uh, through the playoffs and you couldn't even win a playoff game. At some point, you have a back-to-back -back MVP. His value is probably never going to be higher. I understand and I kind of advocated for time to turn the page. You've done what you're going to do with Rodgers. Now, they're going to bring him back. Obviously, Packers fans are going to be excited watching them win a ton of games. But all in all, it comes down to can they finally close the deal? Because unless they hoist Lombardi in the next two or three years, this has been a failure. And there's no other way to judge it. What do they need to do? Like, what, what is the thing to close the gap? And I know, I know that's almost an unfair question because... 
like special teams this year. You know, we thought this was the uh, year. A big one, I thought right? they had the team. I thought that they, yeah. they were the NFC squad. So lots of people did. And I don't think there's a Packer fan who wouldn't have told you throughout the season, like there's a good chance special teams could cost you. And it finally did right in the worst possible moment, in the worst possible way. Um, they lost to a team that couldn't score a offensive touchdown, but they gave one away on special teams. And that ultimately meant that they were going home. You know, what they need to close the gap is, A, there's some, I mean, as much as you hate to blame it, there is a little bit of, like, injury luck involved here because in both of these instances, David Bakhtiari was not on the field, and he is one of their top five players, right? If Bakhtiari plays in either that game against Tampa or that game against San Francisco, there's a very good chance that they move on from both of those games. Now, that said, you can't pin yourself down to, oh, if everyone stays healthy, because it's the NFL. Of course, people don't stay healthy. That's part of the gig. Um, to me... They have to be much better and play much better against the better competition, against the better defenses in these big moments, in these do, you know, win or go home games, because they have not. They have been very uncharacteristic in those games, whether it's Aaron Jones fumbling in that game against Tampa, something he just rarely does. Uh, Aaron Rodgers throwing a pick to a well-covered Alan Lazard down the seam in that Tampa game. Uh, Aaron Rodgers not being able to find guys for a first down at the end of that game against San Francisco. I mean, the list goes on. And of course, there's the last throw he made on third down where he tosses it up to a double covered Devontae Adams when he's got a wide open Alan Lazard breaking over the middle. They need to rise to the occasion more in these winner go home games. To me, they just they have the team. Those last two years, they've absolutely had the squad. They just have not played their best ball when the occasion called for it. So what do they do with Jordan Love now? That's a very good question. Um, I understand the immediate calls to trade him, right? Like, well, you know, you're, you're locked into Aaron now and he's here for four, four years, supposedly, if we right. contract deals, is, the reporting around it is correct. To me, you've got this kid. He's got all the talent in the world. He's still very young. He's entering year three. He's been in your system for two years. I don't automatically look to trade him. Now, are they going to field phone calls, especially this season prior to this draft that doesn't really have yes. a standout kind of even handful of quarterbacks? So, mm -hmm. yeah, could that happen? I'm definitely listening. I'm definitely taking those calls if I'm Brian, but I don't think you're in a hurry to make that happen. I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers is 38 years old. It's not like you, this is Madden where you can turn the injury setting off. You know, it, it, all it takes is a twisted ankle. All of a sudden your backup has to play a significant amount. I'd much rather have the kid who's been there going on three years now, who has time in the system to kind of maybe keep things afloat while you're waiting for Aaron to get back rather than turning to a journeyman, you know, veteran, what have you. I'd much rather have the guy I've been developing for the last couple of years step in. So I do Certainly. think there's value in keeping him around, but I will very well understand if they do listen to a trade offer. And if one comes in that Brian likes, maybe he pulls the trigger. The, the thing is, so what do you do with his option? Right. Because one of the things that we heard was that you have to see him this year so that you know whether or not to pick up his option or you effectively potentially waste the first round pick if he just sits on the bench and he's your backup plan. Here, here's here's what I always say when people talk about the waste of that pick. Right. And I understand the thinking of like, especially in this new era of football, building around a quarterback on a rookie deal is kind of like the cheat code. Right. That's what teams do. It's what they've been really successful with. But to me, if for no other kind of outcome, then, well, no one seems to remember how kind of in the weeds Aaron Rodgers was prior to that the selection of Jordan Love. Like 
he had not been gangbusters. He has certainly not been an MVP form. And you pick Jordan Love, and suddenly Aaron Rodgers rededicates himself, cleans up his footwork to his own admission. I'm not making this up. He has talked about this. You know, not that Jordan was the impetus for this, but going back Maybe. and looking at tape from 2010, et cetera, you know, this certainly spurred something in Aaron. And he got two MVP seasons out of it. So does the player ever see the field? Do you ever get him on there extensively as your starter? At this point, after today, probably not. But again, I just don't think the value is there to just like some team calls looking to get a deal in a third round pick or whatever. I don't automatically just make that trade. But you are right in the sense of you got to look at it hard after this year because he'll be heading into the final year, the regular four-year window. You're going to have to make that decision on the fifth-year option. I would be shocked if the Packers exercised it now because th- there's no way you're going to want to like a pay that money and b keep him around when you could get something of value for him in return. It's crazy. I mean, you mentioned this is the year potentially to trade him if you do want to get max value for him in return because it's just I think there's so many quarterback needy teams and there just right. aren't that many really good options. It's not a good draft. There. Exactly. It's crazy. He's younger than Kenny Pickett. I know, right? Dude's 23 years old. Kenny Pickett's coming out in the draft. Like he has more years in him and he's been in an NFL system learning for two years. So you could, you know, obviously I'm not breaking any ground here, but like you could plop him into this year's draft and say like, how does he uh, stack up to these guys? Do you want him more than any of these guys? And I do think GMs are going to be doing that throughout the course of this next like two, three week window, right? Where they're going to definitely be breaking down his tape and looking at not only what we saw against Kansas City, but all the preseason stuff we've seen from him. Not that there's a lot. And that's the other weird thing is that like, he's such an odd duck in the sense of like, we didn't even get a preseason out of his rookie year because of the pandemic. Um, we just, there's not a lot of tape on him, but. What, what do we know about him? Because the you mentioned the Kansas City game. Didn't blow anyone away. That'll probably drive whatever price down, but I don't know if that's necessarily fair. If we're going to look at it objectively, he outplayed Mahomes in that game. So I don't know. There you go. I he's kid, the next Mahomes. I kid kind of. I kid kind of. But, um, but yeah, is you he know, good? He's got talent. I don't know if he's any good. He's got to play to find that out, though. It's like Aaron. Here's what people kind of always forget, because this was basically right before Twitter happened and the Internet became as obsessively kind of consuming of the NFL as it is now. But, you know, Aaron's first two summers were hard to watch. People don't remember that. And people, I know the younger generation on Twitter definitely scoffs at me when I say that. But man, you ask anyone who was there for those training camps, it was hard to watch. And then his third summer, which is where Jordan is entering now, he was booed at family night. Oh, sorry. That was his fourth summer. He was booed on family night because he was like missing Donald Driver over the middle and throwing behind guys. And that's his oh, so he year. was booed because he was bad, not because of the whole Favre well, dynamic Well, Favre thing. was there, but he they were he was booed because oh he was booed well before all that, like just because he wasn't bred, right? That that was always part of the narrative. Right. But yeah, no, he did not play well, wow. and it wasn't. And he said this on McAfee, and this is something that another thing that a soundbite that really never kind of took off, but it's very instructive in my eyes. When he was on Pat's show last year at some point, and he said, you know, that night in Dallas on that Thursday night or when Brett got hurt and I came in and I played well enough to change the narrative around me from potential draft bust to possible starter. Those are his words. He knew the feeling around him. He knew that people were starting to mumble like, like, I think this guy might be a bust. And that was three years into his career. So it's just interesting to see 
history kind of repeat itself in that regard. Like, yeah, no, did Jordan blow the doors off of anybody in that Kansas City start? Absolutely not. But you know, well, who else didn't his first couple of times seeing the field in live action? Aaron Rodgers. So they, I just, I do think he's got talent. I do think he's got upside. But the problem is, is he needs to play to develop it. He's not going to play anytime soon in Green Bay. Is this automatically a win for Green Bay that they got Aaron back for a few more years? It looks like he'll finish his career there with the Packers. Or does something specific need to happen in that time frame in order for this to be a win? Yeah, they need to win a Super Bowl. Come on, like they, let's call a spade a spade. If they bring him back and they've kicked the can now and they do eventually, do they end up hoist, hoisting another Lombardi trophy? Their second one with Aaron, the ever elusive and become immortal and they go down as legends or they become the Steelers or the Saints, you know, constantly chasing that second trophy, never getting it and then finding themselves in a spot where they've got to start over. And now they've now they've really put them hamstrung themselves cap wise. Um, they've probably lost some talent along the way. And essentially, especially with Brian and Matt, you know, Aaron's not their guy. You know, that was from Ted. That's Ted's guy. That's Ted and Mike. So it, can't I don't, obviously Matt deserves a lot of credit for turning Aaron around, much like Mike did with Brett. Um, but yeah, in the in the history of the Green Bay Packers, you look at this moment in history, they have got to win a Super Bowl in the next three years. They have to do it or else it's a fail. Just to be clear, when you talk about kicking the can down the road, are they inevitably going to be in a bad rebuilding situation when Aaron does leave now because they're doing that? Absolutely. I mean, the only thing, the only possible salvation or kind of light at the end of the tunnel they could possibly glom onto is the new media deal and the, you know, the new media rights that are coming around the corner. I don't think we're expected to see a lot of that when it, as far as like the cap really exploding for another two or three years. So maybe they're just trying to hope that they get to that point and that's going to not save them, but give them a lot more oxygen as far as the cap goes. Because as it stands right now, they are definitely kicking the can to a spot where they're going to have to blow it up eventually. New media deal or like six more gambling sponsorships. Whichever. I mean, just don't tell Calvin Ridley. Don't tell him. Aaron, you're the best. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. All right, that'll do it for us today. Please, God, fingers crossed, that'll do it for us today. I'm going to go pour a high noon in a swell bottle and go watch some youth baseball and soccer practices because this is that kind of day and I am that kind of mom. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did and you want to hear more, subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Also, if you could give us a five-star rating and leave a review, that would be awesome. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. The producer is Andrew Emmer. Marissa Rivas is the acting director of sports podcasts for SiriusXM. And a special thanks, as always, to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Have a great week, everybody. See you back here next week. Serious XM Podcasts.